Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright. This is the video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective, Part 4. And the uh, theme of Part 4 is living the crucified life. We're not just, we've talked a lot about in uh, the previous parts about the, the theoretical or theological perspective of living the, the uh, uh, crucified life. But in this part, Part 4, we're trying to get into the more of the uh, personal details about how it affects each of our day and how we were supposed to respond to it and whatever. Uh, and the subject of this lesson number five is uh, revelation brings change. Revelation brings change. When we think one thing, but God reveals to us that the situation is something different than if we have faith in God and we hear with the eyes, hear with the ears, see with the eyes, perceive with the heart. We believe God has spoken to us, then we respond to that uh, revelation and it produces change. Praise God. So uh, we've read these verses many times, but let's read them from that perspective. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not going to re read all those verses, but again, uh, Paul said, lest I be exalted above measure, uh, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, uh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And before he had the revelation, he says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, Revelation, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Here comes the change. Most gladly, therefore, therefore again is a conclusive conjunction, meaning the statement is about to be made, is the conclusion based upon what was presented before the conjunction. So what's presented before is God saying, you're asking me to take this away. I'm not taking it away. I will give you my grace, which will be enough for you because my strength, the empowerment of my grace, is made perfect or completed, brought to completion by having weakness, your understanding of your weakness enables you to receive my grace to power you and strengthen you because otherwise you don't believe you need it. And so that's the revelation. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul's response to God's revelation is, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon him. Now, in the uh, uh, last verse, we went, or the last lesson, we went through talking about the different uh, elements of the, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh to buffet me. Uh, but the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is sufficient for thee. Uh, so I have talked much about grace, and I will 
go repeat some of the things I've said before. Uh, the grace of God is the Spirit of God, the love of God by His Spirit empowering me to do what I cannot do naturally, enabling me to do supernaturally what I can't do naturally. Even if I think I can do it naturally, I can't do it in a, in, in a way that pleases God. I may be able to do it naturally in a way it pleases me or pleases people. But I cannot do it naturally in a way that pleases God. So therefore, I am to come to an awareness of my weakness, my inability to please God through my own human effort so that I will allow the grace of God, which is the love of God working by the Spirit of God, to enable me, to strengthen and empower and enable me to do what I cannot do myself in a manner that pleases God. Now, grace is a, a wonderful subject we're going to do as a future, uh, specifically as a future uh, series of teachings. But this is what the Lord said. Now, Paul experienced these negative circumstances before he understood them. Because of the power and authority of Paul's walk with God, his first reaction to the trials he was facing was to resist them in the spirit as being attacks of Satan and to pray against them. So he was praying to be delivered from this these thorns in the flesh. He did not perceive, without God telling him, he did not perceive that it really wasn't, even though the devil, it appeared to be as though the adversary was the one doing it. Paul did not discern that behind that was God's permission and that God had allowed what the devil meant for good, for, for evil, God meant for good. What the devil did to do damage to Paul, God meant for it to eventually be a blessing to Paul. Amen. And that is a biblical principle. That's the biblical principle in many different places in the Bible. Joseph, he had been sold. His, the jealousy of his ten over brothers was such that they hated him because their father, they believed, loved him more than them. So they sold him into slavery to uh, the Egyptians, uh, or eventually he ended up in Egypt. And they lied to their father that he was dead. And many years later, when there was famine in the land of Canaan and there was food in Egypt because Joseph, who started out a slave, ended up the number two man in Egypt by God's working. The Jacob sent his sons, the living sons, to Egypt to get grain to, so they, and, and food for his family who was starving in, or on the verge of starving because it was famine in the land of Canaan. And when Joseph revealed himself to them, his brothers, 
He said, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. That is the principle of all of this. So when Paul only saw the evil, he rebuked it. He was praying against it. He wanted to see it gone. And God said, no, no, you're rebuking the devil, but he's doing this with my permission. What he doesn't do with my permission in this world you can, you have authority over that. You can rebuke that. I've given you authority over it. I mean, Jesus said, behold, I give you power, uh, Luke 10, 19, but the Greek word there is not dunamis, but exousia. Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Oh, wait a minute here. God, you promised that nothing by any means would hurt us. And yet here we are. We're getting beat up by the devil. And so, therefore, we're coming against this. We're going to defeat this now. Nope. Not when that which is happening is done by permission from God. For my good. The devil means it for evil. But God means it for good. And all things work together. That's the promise. All things work together for good. To them who love God. To them who are called according to his purpose. But after the Lord revealed to Paul, I'm going to read this one more time. Because of the power and authority of Paul's walk with God, his first reaction to the trials he was facing was to resist them in the spirit as being attacks of Satan and to pray against them. But after the Lord revealed to Paul that he was totally behind his trials from a permission standpoint, this revelation totally changed Paul's perspective of an attitude towards his circumstances. Now it had to really chap the devil is some people's terminology because what the devil's doing to try to get Paul to curse God, God is giving thanks. I mean, Paul is giving thanks to God for. Oh, wait, wait a minute. I'm doing this. No, no. I'm thanking the one that it couldn't happen without. And it don't matter what your motive was, his motive. I love and him. He loves me and I trust him. So, Okay, Paul declared by this revelation that he now understood that the Lord's purpose in allowing the sharp, piercing circumstances of his life, the permitted work of an agent of crucifixion which came against him, was to make him weak so that he would seek the Lord's strength, and thus the Lord could make him strong. By doing this, the power of God would tabernacle upon him. The infirmities made him weak. He turned to God in God's grace. And the Lord gave his grace, his power, to rest upon him. <coughs> which enabled him to be and do whatever it was God was going to do. Now, important point right here. There is nothing that the thorn can do to us that will hinder the will of God from being done through us unless I allow it to. God never, ever lets permits the adversary to do something to us that would be a legitimate excuse for us not doing the will of God. Ever. Ever. So, 
I guess that would be one way. I hadn't thought of this before, but the Lord's just given this to me. I guess that'd be one way of discerning whether or not the circumstance or the situation, the thorn, is of the devil's instigation or God's. I have a right to take authority over anything that keeps me from doing the will of God. Now, if God's allowed it, and it seems as though it may hinder me doing the will of God, I, I need to check that out because the Lord may have a different way for me to do his will, and he's allowed this to change the way I'm doing things. I mean, what, what would happen if all of a sudden every door of every church was closed by the government in this country? Would we then be able to say, well, the devil is one. We can't have church. We can't do the will of God. Or would you say, okay, Lord, you've said we're supposed to gather. We're supposed to do this. We're supposed to pray, whatever. So if we can't do it inside these buildings we call churches, because you've allowed the doors to be closed, then what is your way for us to continue to do your will? And that principle works in everything. When Paul got the revelation, and he acknowledged his weakness and allowed the grace of God to work in his life. This allowed the power of God to tent or tabernacle upon him. This caused his attitude toward these agents of crucifixion to change from desiring to be delivered from them to glorify, glorying in their presence and embracing the blessing that they were to him in his labors. Now, this doesn't make sense to the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he, God, said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon me. Paul said in another way, in other places, I'm going to boast about my infirmities. I'm going to boast about my infirmities. I'm going to boast about the things that God has allowed me to go through because these things have made me weak in my own eyes so that God can work through me and he gets all the glory and I'm not tempted to take any of it. We're going to, For the next little while here, we're going to begin to look at uh, the different words, the Greek words and what they mean here. The When the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for thee, uh, the word uh, sufficient according to Strong's means literally to properly to ward off by implication to avail or prevail figuratively to be satisfactory. Uh, Thayer says it means to be possessed of unfailing strength, to be strong, to suffice, to be enough. Uh, Vine says it means to be strong enough, to suffice, to be enough. His grace is enough for me. There is no limitation of my being that his grace cannot fill in the cracks, fill in the weaknesses, and make God's will work through me. There is no, there is nothing in my life that the grace of God cannot overcome and work through me in spite of my weaknesses, regardless of what it is, regardless of the circumstances that are my thorns. So, uh, Paul said, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. The word for there is the word uh, 
uh, it's the Greek word gar that it means to assign a reason used in argument, explanation, or intensification often with other particles. So it assigns a reason. So for my strength, okay, my grace is sufficient for thee. So I will glory in my infirmities for my strength is made perfect weakness. I'm going to glory in these weaknesses. My strength, uh, this is the Greek word dunamis, and it means force, literally or figuratively, specifically miraculous power. My, my strength, God's strength in me, is made complete by or through my weakness. Because every bit of my strength I use contaminates God's strength. It uh, it mixes in. Now, what do I want? Partial strength or all strength? Jesus said it this way. John 15, 5, without me, ye can do nothing. That's why Thayer says that the word dunamis literally means, translated strength literally means strength, power, ability. Inherent power, power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature, of or which a, a person or a thing exerts and puts forth. So it doesn't matter what kind of natural ability I try to mix in with what God is doing. I'm contaminating it. So the goal here is to get so dead to self by the grace of God, with the Lord using whatever thorns he's allowed in my life, that I will not attempt to... In, Put any part of me in that. No part of me in it. None. Now, the Greek word uh, translated strength, dunamis, comes from the Greek verb dunamei, which means to be able or possible. According to Strong, Stayer says it means to have, to be able to have power, whether by virtue of one's own ability and resources or of a state of mind or through favorable circumstances or by permission of law or custom, to be able to do something, to be capable, strong, powerful. My strength or the strength of God manifested through me is made complete through my weakness, because of my weakness. And the words made perfect there, according to Strong's means, to complete, literally to accomplish, or to consummate in character. Thayer says the word means to make perfect, to complete, to carry through completely, to accomplish, to finish, to bring to an end, to add what is yet wanting in order to render a thing full, to bring to the end or the goal proposed. That comes from the root word that means complete, in various applications of labor, growth, mental or moral and moral character, completeness. Uh, Thayer says that root word means brought to its end or finish, wanting nothing necessary to completeness. And that word comes from the root word to set out for a definite point or goal, properly the point aimed at as a limit, the conclusion of an act, the termination. So God, God uh, makes my strength complete 
My strength is made perfect in weakness. My weakness is the thing that allows God to make me strong. Because Paul said later in the next verse, when I am weak, I am strong. The the Greek word for weakness, the Greek word for weakness means uh, feebleness of mind or body by implication, malady, morally failure. So Thayer says it means lack of strength, weakness, infirmity, used of the body. Or it can also mean the inability, the lack of strength and capacity. Lack of strength and capacity to do certain things. So I don't have the ability to do these things. I don't have them. I'm not able to do them. So Paul said, uh, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities. Why? Because those infirmities cause me to be weak, cause me to see my inabilities. And they make me, they that is the conduit through which the grace of God is able to make me strong in God. I, I was a young pastor and, uh, I was struggling with consistency in prayer, at least effective prayer. And I, I was saying to the Lord, what's wrong with me? Why don't I pray consistently in a fervent and effectual manner? He said, because you don't believe my word. I said, Lord, I thought everything I did was because I believe your word. He said, no. He said, you don't believe that without me you can do nothing. I paused on that. He said, because the way you pray or don't pray proves whether or not you believe, literally, without me you can do nothing. Because if you truly believed that without me you could do nothing, you would pray like someone who believed that without me you could do nothing. But because you pray, and you put in your time in prayer on occasion, and you don't pray effectually and fervently, you're trying to get prayer out of the way so you can go do what you think you can do, even though you give lip service that you can't do it. You go and try to do it. And then it doesn't work, and you get frustrated, and you, what's wrong, and blah, blah, you know, and then you get upset with me. But all along, you prayed like your prayer, your focus in prayer, your fervency in prayer and the effectiveness of your prayer didn't prevail much, didn't avail much because you prayed it like someone who didn't really have the urgency of one who believed that without me you could do nothing. So I said, Lord, teach me, convince me, for my soul's sake and the soul sake of those souls I'm supposed to be ministering to, convince me that without you I can do nothing. I have I told that I remember way back then I tell that and I and, and I had people tell me that's very unwise because you don't know what you're asking for. Wait a minute. I was talking to my heavenly Father that loves me. 
that caused his mind, the Logos, to be robed in flesh and caused that flesh to die for me in my place. If God be for us, who can be against us? He that held didn't hold back his own son and gave his son for us, how can he not also freely give us all things? That's the one I prayed to. And you're telling me I can't trust my father to do right by me? Don't believe it. And I'm still praying that. I want to be convinced. Don't let me ever forget, Father, that without you I can do nothing. Don't let me forget it. Don't let me forget it. Because everything I try to do for him instead of him doing it through me because I'm convinced I can't do it, but he can through me, every one of those moments my ultimate motive is to get the glory, even if that's not in my conscious mind. Because what I do myself for God, I'm doing it to win his approval. But what I'm acknowledging my weakness over and have submitted to him for him to do it through me so that he's the one doing it and I'm just the conduit, the vessel, then my motive is purer because I want him to get the glory because I know I can't take the glory because it's not me doing it. I know it. Now, Paul said, most gladly, therefore, and I know this is not in the order in the verses, but this is the order it was given to me to, to present it today. Most gladly. The word most gladly means with great pleasure. <laughs> with great pleasure, therefore. And again, the word therefore being certainly or conjunctional with or conjunctionality, yeah, conjunction alley, or conjunctionally, that's it, accordingly. That's Strong's. Thayer says it means then, therefore, accordingly, consequently, these things being so. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather, and the word rather means more or to a greater degree. It doesn't mean instead of, but to a greater degree. I want to glory in my infirmities. The word glory there means to uh, to vaunt in a good or bad sense, according to Strong. Stairs says it means to glory, whether with reason or without, to glory on count of a thing, to glory in a thing. So it's to to, to vaunt, to lift up, to uh, to magnify, to make visible, to put out front. I'm going to the thing I'm going to put out front, the thing I'm going to talk about is not my power, my ability, but God using me to do these things. That's what I'm going to put out front here. I'm going to glory in my infirmities. And the Greek preposition there, according to Strong's, means in, in it's a fixed position or a relation of rest. I'm going to glory in these things. These infirmities, and again, infirmity is feebleness of mind and body. It is lack of strength. It is an inability to do what pleases God. Inability on my part to do that. In this verse, the Holy Ghost and Paul uses the word infirmities as a general all-encompassing word for all of his trials, all of the work of the thorns. In the next verse, uh, the one where he itemizes, 
He said, therefore, I'll take pleasure. I take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, distresses. He uses the word infirmity in a different way. So in this verse we're looking at in this lesson, he uses the word infirmities as a synonym of the thorn, the work of the thorn. Again, thorn is singular because it's an all-encompassing word for all of those things that God permitted Satan to do to Paul in Paul's life in opposition to Paul, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Don't forget, one time was Paul was stoned and left for dead. Stoned and left for dead. And according to Paul, in uh, the early part of 2 Corinthians 12, this same chapter, he said, I knew a man, and he named a period of time, who died, went to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I can't tell. So he talks about this guy in the third person. He won't even use his name that because he put his infirmities forward. So he told all of that to explain about all of this, the work of God to help us to be humble before God in Jesus' name. So he said... I. I'm going to uh, boast in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon me. So Paul said, 1 Corinthians 12 and 9, and I'm reading it again. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, my strength, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So I'm going to glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The word that means in order that, denoting the purpose or the result, that in order that, so that I'm going to glory in my infirmities so that the power of Christ may, I'm going to glory in my infirmities because uh, my strength is made perfect in weakness that the power of Christ may dwell upon, upon me. The word power here is dunamis again, the same word translated strength, so that the strength of Christ, the ability of Christ may rest upon me. Christ's own ability. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So uh, here he's got a different perspective of this, said that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The word may rest there in the Greek means to tent upon. It's the only time this specific word is used in the entire Greek New Testament. To fix a tent or habitation on, according to Thayer's to take possession of and live in. Use of the power of Christ descending upon one, working within him and giving him help. So this is the kind of the context where Paul said that we are to uh, set our affections on things above and not on things of the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So I'm crucified in Christ. Christ lives in me. And his faith 
flows out of me as his conduit. But all these thorns, all these, these things that happen to my outer man, these external circumstances that work on my flesh, they happen so that I can be hidden in God. You're dead and your life is hid with Christ God. These things enable me to be dead so the power of Christ can rest upon me and I can be hidden in God. I can be hidden in God. God will give us also the revelation of the purpose of our trials in our lives if we will trust the Father to be in control of our lives. Just like Paul received the revelation, God will give us the same revelation if we will allow him to do that. If we'll allow him to do it. He'll give us the same revelation that what looks like evil, he's got good that he's going to bring out of it. If we'll allow him to do that. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that by the grace of God, you will allow the Holy Ghost of God, the Word of God, to work in your life and my life and the love of God to work in our lives to produce in us that which is pleasing to God and to give us the revelation that truly, without him, we can do nothing. In Jesus' name, God bless you.